Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everyone, Dr. Travis Stork here. Thanks for tuning in to the Travis Stork Show. My guest today is my good friend, Antonio Compton. And if you do not know Antonio, I really encourage you to take a quick listen to today's episode. He is, um, you know, it's interesting when I moved back to Nashville years ago, Antonio welcomed me with open arms because I moved into the same townhome complex and we've become really good friends since then. And we've been having a lot of conversations as of late about the Black Lives Matter movement, about life, um, Antonio is a gay black man who moved to Nashville back in the early 2000s, and he built up a really successful franchise of Barry's Boot Camp in Nashville. And through all of that, he's had some very challenging experiences from when he was a kid to now being same same age as me. We're both late 40s. Um, Antonio grew up with a white mother and a black father in a small town, Indiana, grew up in poverty and he just has a really interesting life story, but more importantly, or just as importantly, he talks about how he's navigated life and where we're at now and his unique perspective as a gay black man in the South and what that means and, and finding your voice. So I hope you enjoy the conversation and, he ends this conversation with, I think, maybe the most important words for us to live by, which is keeping an open mind. And having an open mind is absolutely essential to understand one another. We're all unique individuals, and none of us are completely defined by one specific thing. And having an open mind allows us to uh, have more empathy to better understand one another, but also hopefully build a bridge between us where these gaps seem so large. I hope you enjoy the podcast and get to know Antonio like I do. I want to talk a lot about sort of where we're at right now, not only in your life, but in society. But leading up to that, I'm going to, I'm going to throw you off the cliff. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, but I am. What is the most important thing or event that has happened in your life that helped to define you? And then we'll get into everything else. I mean, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is like becoming a father at such a young age and how that shaped and molded me and like changed my outlook and perspective on life. But um, so that. Do you want me to like go deeper into that or do you want me to like just, and then go mention the well, top Yeah, because things? that, I mean, if that's that, how old were you? Uh, 20. That's young. In, in college at a Christian university <laughs> and got pregnant. <laughs> were you guys married? I can't remember. Were you no, married? No, we weren't married. No, we weren't married. No, we got married when Caleb was like six months. Yeah. We were in a Christian university in the South in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And yeah, it was really crazy 
So you had Caleb, then you got married. Got married after we had Caleb. Yeah. And really pressured in the sense of like from both sides of our families in this, like living together. And um, so we kind of felt pressured to get married, which was great. I mean, I'm grateful for that we did, but yeah, I mean, there was a lot of pressure around that. And, and, and at that time, I'm curious because obviously I now know how much becoming a father changes you. It's yeah, not as though, of course, you know, if you're going to be present in your kid's life, they become numero uno immediately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so everything else is less important. Yeah. Well, and then at 20 in the situation that I was in, that necessarily, that was ultra important for me to have my son like give him a life that I didn't have. But I mean, I was actually, I didn't have a figure, a father figure in my life. I didn't have a representation of how to be a father. Like I didn't navigate through that on my own because I mean, my father was incarcerated and was, you know, an alcoholic and abusive. And so, I mean, I didn't really have the ideal, you know, role model to, to like then pattern my fatherhood after. So, yeah, I mean, it was, really challenged. And now looking back and seeing my son in that role and how he's playing that out and navigating that on his own is so much different than I did or had like 27 years ago. So, you know, it was really challenging. I knew that I wanted to provide a different living and a different experience than what I had for my son, but I didn't really know how to do that other than maybe what I thought was the best way to be a father or the way to be the most present father and um, intentional father, because I didn't have any of that as my father was never intentional. And so, yeah. And and looking back now, it's just like, wow, I did as best as I could, but I fucked up. Like, I mean, I just, you know, I mean, yeah, it was just a, it was Antonio, you were, you were 20 years old and you were doing the best you could. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I look at, where you've come from and where you are now. And Caleb's a, a good man. I can't call him yeah, kid really anymore. Yeah. And you know, we, we won't, we won't dive into the fact that you're a uh, grandfather, grandfather <laughs> numerous times over now, which is another, I'm sure profound yeah. thing, but yeah. we'll get there yeah. in a minute. Yeah. If yeah, time but, allows. Yeah. So that was, you know, a very influential time for me that I think shaped me and, you know, and, helped me become the man I am today. I think that was one of those times. Um, I think the second, second time, probably just coming to terms with being gay and um, that navigation that I had to do with that and just trying, I didn't have a lot of support. I mean, I didn't really have a lot of support in my family or really my community or my friends because I wasn't really authentic and open and transparent to them. So I don't think, they knew how to support me the proper way that I probably needed the support because I wasn't open. I wasn't allowing my life to speak, but um, yeah, I would say that would be the second. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than, Hey, (sighs) well, That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. 
Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So you're 20 years old. You're mm-hmm. at a Christian university. Yeah. Um, you have a son. You get married. You're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing yeah. as a good Christian man, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming yeah. you're checking those yeah. boxes in some ways. Yeah. Um, you've already lived a very profound life that I'm aware of that, you know, um, where born to a white mother, a black father in I'll say small town, Indiana yeah. and figuring, <laughs> figuring it all out as you go, yeah. um, with your two siblings. But then I'm curious how you then navigate all of these unknowns because you're, you're 20 when you have Caleb. How old were you when you? Leslie and I divorced. And you knew that you, and you basically told everyone, look, I'm gay. And yeah. this is, Ooh. this is who I am. This is the authentic Antonio. Yeah. Well, after my divorce, I mean, I then, I mean, I didn't necessarily divorce because I was gay at that time. Like, I mean, that was always inside of me and I always struggled with that, I think, but it wasn't like, the forefront of my mind. Like I didn't deal necessarily at that moment with some of the demons I had dealt with later and later in life, but cause I got a divorce and then I was engaged again to a high school friend that I knew in high school. And, um, we reconnected and fell in love and thought I fell in love, um, and proposed and was engaged and carried that out for a few years. And, you know, then like three months before the wedding, I think three-ish, four months before the wedding, I had to call it off because I was miserable inside. And I was then dealing with the issue of coming to terms with my sexuality. And that was um, 99, 2000, maybe. Um, And then even then I just... I was dealing with depression, but really not had come to terms with who I, Antonio Compton was as a gay man. Cause I think I've shared this before that I think I didn't even think I was gay. I think I was bi. I thought I was bisexual and I thought that I could never really go down that path of being like living a gay life style. Um, just because of all the shit in my head that I like had to like navigate through faith you know, being a father, disappointing my family, disappointing my son, disappointing the community and the church and all that. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't until I think like 28, 29, 30, maybe that I really began to understand like what I was going through. And I mean, I didn't tell Jamie that's who I was engaged um, to until probably like a year later after why I was depressed and going through all the shit that I was going through and coming, you know, came out to her. But I think it was like eight months to a year, possibly that I came out to her, but then I didn't come out after that. Like that wasn't, I mean, I, I had a, a smaller group of friends that I began to like, you know, trust and open up to. But um, yeah, I mean, it was like, I was in my thirties before I really, even like, and I'm 47, probably even 38 before I really 
found my groove and like had the ability to accept who I was and live an authentic, transparent life to people in my life. So, so I want to ask you about that because we'll jump ahead to the age of, let's say 38. And yeah. when did you move to Nashville? Um, 2003. So yeah. you 17 were, years. so before you really so 30. Yeah. So I, I've never asked you this cause I'm curious. You're 30 ish. Yeah. You're going through a lot in your head, trying to figure out your sexuality, but you're thinking, well, here I am a, a gay, potentially gay black man yeah. who has, a, you know, still has his faith mm-hmm. and I'm going to go live in the South. Uncertain. My faith was really uncertain at the time, but yes, I had my faith. So you, because I think that's one of the unique things about you is you, you come to live in Nashville, which at the time was not the Nashville we now know. Yeah. Very no, different back no, then, because that's when, yeah. you know, I don't know if you know this, but that's when I moved to Nashville initially too. We just didn't know each other. Our paths yeah. didn't cross. Yeah. yeah. I started I started residency in Nashville in 2003 at wow. Vanderbilt. Yeah. And it was a different city than it is now. It was not um it wasn't a big city. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was very small but big, but for so me, how Well, big to you cuz you're from I mean, heck, Evansville, you went to a very yeah, small college yeah. too, right? Yeah. Yeah, very small, yeah. So how did you here you are? You're in your 30s. You're trying to figure this all out. Because I think there's a story here that uh, about self-perseverance where how did you get from being, can I say, depressed? Yeah. Confused yeah. to being confident to being the Antonio Compton that we all know and love to starting Barry's boot camp to in some ways saying to to hell with it. I'm going to be who I yeah. am and screw everyone else. Not screw everyone else, but yeah. hey, this yeah. is me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, I think that journey had started really way back as a child, really like, you know, and just kind of morphed into as an adult. But I mean, I, I think about this all the time because I grew up black and gay, obviously didn't come to terms with that until later in life. But I mean, my entire life, I've always, I mean, I grew up in the ghetto. I mean, it's in Evansville, but according to some standards, a lot of people would probably visit my neighborhood and like, fuck, I mean, excuse me, but <laughs> you know, I mean, they would it's look so at my, 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 my house and neighborhood and think this is like ghetto, you know, I grew up really under poor and underprivileged. I mean, and so, but I knew really young that I wanted more. And I think I adapted the way I lived my life, probably. I mean, who, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe like middle school or high school, I knew that I wanted more and I then like chose different um, lanes and different routes for my life than maybe some of my sibling or my siblings did and just maybe the community that I was in. So I kind of had to adapt differently Um, the way I carried myself, the way I presented myself, the way that I communicated to people. Um, I was very aware of that at a young age. Like I had to present myself differently for people to really maybe take me seriously and to maybe accept me fully for who I was. 
um, because of the way I looked or talked or however. So I mean, I was always intentional with that, which is odd now looking back that, and having a son and grandkids, I would never, ever want my grandkids to have to be something they weren't. Yeah. How does that make you feel now looking back at it? I mean, it's just, it's kind of fucked up, but like, it's because I was never really, I didn't have a space or a place. Like I didn't fit in one category. I didn't fit in the black community. I didn't fit in the white community fully because I was this, you know, biracial kid that maybe spoke a little differently. That maybe wasn't as dark as some of you know, my cousins are, you know, family members or community or, and I was a little darker than most of my, you know, my white friends or community, but I just never really had that. I never had a place, never felt, I felt alone a lot, always, even, you know, just outside of my family too. Cause I mean, my family, you know, we were always in survival mode. So I never really felt like I had support or a place. And so I just had to navigate on my own to like figure that out. And I, you know, like my vocabulary. I mean, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm not the dumbest guy in the world, but I had to like create how I was going to speak to people and remember, and I remember being intentional with that and like handshaking. I mean, I was never taught like a man has a strong, firm handshake. I had to learn that on my own and then kind of, you know, introduce that to my life. But I always was, always had this really strong and people were always like, dude, chill out. I mean, <laughs> that hurts, but I did that intentionally. And I remember, I remember as a young man growing up, trying to figure that out of, you know, implementing this hand really firm chest out, you know, type of, you know, greeting that I always would have. And, you know, but, um, FYI, you are a strong guy and your handshake is pretty powerful, <laughs> but it's, it's and, and it was intentional. Like it wasn't like, I did that intentionally, but now it's like just part of my life. But even with like the way I talk, I grew up really, um, I was an emotional kid because of a lot of things I went through, the sexual abuse and having an abusive father and those type of things. But I had a very feminine sounding voice, high pitched voice. I, I was a singer and like, and I had this, and I always was embarrassed of listening to myself sing because I felt like I sound like a girl. And even when I would hear myself talk, so I was intentional with the way I talked and the way I presented myself. Like I had to speak deeper and have a little more presence with my voice. So I always grew up, I mean, I grew up being intentional with that. So my point of saying all that was, is like, I had to, I identified my environment. I identified who my community was. And I then had to like become this Antonio to fit within that world to that then felt comfortable to be accepted and approved. Cause I never, I mean, you know, I didn't grow up being told you can do anything or, you know, you're, you know, you can reach for the stars. I mean, I, again, we were in survival mode my entire life growing up. So I had to just navigate that on my own and figure that out. But we've talked recently about where you've come from, where you've gone, and especially right now with the social justice movement, asking for people to rethink the way they view the world, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, which I really do feel is not a political movement, but a human rights movement to make everyone understand 
some of the trials and tribulations that you can't understand unless you've gone through it. And I'm curious, you know, how everything you've been through, because people who aren't from Nashville won't know that Antonio is someone that built a very successful business at Barry's boot camp. And I can call you, um, I don't want to call you the man about town because that's not accurate, but it's, if you say Antonio Compton, it's it's not six degrees of separation like Kevin Bacon. It's it's one degree of separation. Everyone's oh, I know Antonio. Yeah. And my question is that through everything that you've been through and the intention, which I think in life, intention at times is a wonderful thing, you know, it, it, but at the same time, when intention borders on feeling like you don't fit in. I'm curious if now looking back at that, and especially right now, here we are in Tennessee, which is still still in the South. If there's a part of you that looks back at things and says, you know what? Like I was doing certain things or I had to do certain things to appease certain individuals so that that I could be in a position to be successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that. I, again, I, you know, I fought so hard to be authentic and try to live this authentic, transparent life. And then, I mean, I've always like, I mean, just even more so now, just in this movement and this climate that we're in that, I mean, I've always had to adapt. And I think why I feel like my voice is really important or like, I want to like be vocal about, because I felt like for a lot of my life, I just didn't really, um, push some issues because I fought so hard to gain respect maybe. And, um, but I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that I, and, you know, just worked so hard to like accommodate certain people within my life and, you know, um, my clientele or just the community that I was in that I stayed a little silent on, issues that maybe I should probably have spoken up on. Um, so, well, let me ask you this, what has changed for you? And, and we've skipped through an entire 15 plus years here where you, you built a very successful business, which you have since sold. You built a lot of, I will say authentic friendships, but you also just know a lot of people, you know, 10 times more people than I know. Um, and that's part of it, I'm guessing, because when you're a small business owner in a, a town like Nashville, you get to know a lot of people. But I'm yeah. curious what, like, for you personally has changed. Because I, you've, been, you've been more active than maybe you even realize when you think about it. I mean, I know, I'll never forget the first, I think it was within, within a week or two of me moving back to Nashville after you and I met. And... Um, you bought me that wonderful tequila drink, which has turned me into a tequila guy. Thank you. But within, what was it? A couple of weeks after that, I was going to that charity event that you were involved in. And yeah. then, um, and then you had a big celebration through Barry's boot camp for gay pride. It, so it's not yeah. as though you haven't been vocal, yeah, but no. would it be fair to say that you, you now are vocal in a way that 
you weren't, or maybe you're empowered to be yeah. vocal in a different More way vocal, now. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think the power then, like, especially during that time you were, I mean, being a gay man and being a gay business owner, I then had this platform that that was kind of the center of my um, ability to like be very prideful or pr- have a lot of pride in being gay. And so I kind of think focusing on that part of my life as a gay man kind of put back on the back burner being a gay black man. So I kind of lost a little of myself maybe. I mean, I've always, you know, I've always been very pride, had a lot of pride about being biracial and black and white. Um, But I think it's now surfaced a little more because of just the climate that we're in and um, feeling as if my voice matters now in that sense of, of having this um, movement represent a lot of pain. And so, because I think before I wasn't that guy that kind of threw out my black card, you know, because I was always scared of what, you know, of like, you know, causing issues with my, my friends or my peers or my clients or whatever. So, um, and that gay pride was always something I could just, you know, I was proud of. And it was then a movement that, you know, felt a little more prevalent maybe then, then maybe the Black Lives Matter, or, you know, supporting this, you know, part of who I am. So, um, and also I lived in fear then too, I think, you know, because I predominantly, my community was predominantly a white community. I mean, clients and friendships and relationships. And so, um, and racial issues are really hard to, to tackle and to discuss. And I think it's really, it's daunting, I think, for the average white person to have those conversations. And I'm seeing that more now than ever, you know? Um, and I think, you know, race, racial issues is expected to be uncomfortable. And I think to have those conversations, you got to really understand that you're going to be getting in, you're going to get into an uncomfortable space. And so that's okay. But I didn't really understand that because I didn't really push those issues, you know, now. And I feel like even though they were like in the, they were in the, my gut of things I just dealt with my entire life as, you know, just prejudice and, you know, being denied things or being accused of things or, you know, just treated a different way just because of the color of my skin. But I think now I feel like I'm have a, a better opportunity to be more vocal on those issues. And to express the other side of me, not just a gay man, but a gay black man. Now I can, you know, and again, I, you know, I, I hope that I've always lived my life authentic as later in life as an adult trying to be, you know, more intentional with the way I live and the way I present myself. But. Well, I think the one reality is every single person in life is always evolving when it comes to race and conversations, especially here I am, I'm a white man. And I think as a white person, you're meant, you should feel uncomfortable when you're having certain yeah. conversations. I yeah. also believe that once you open the doors of perception, you can never close them. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I will say that there are a lot of people who are not comfortable being uncomfortable until yeah. you're comfortable with that feeling of discomfort yeah. with the, you know, acknowledging, well, here's Antonio who had to try 
with intention for years and years and years to fit in so that he could um, not row the boat, or I'm sorry, not rule out. I don't know what the term I'm looking for here. You know, basically you don't want to rock the boat too much. Yeah. Yeah. And now you're, if, it, if it's fair to say this, what I see happening is a beautiful thing, which is let's rock the boat. It's not, it's a hundred percent not okay that, and people who, people who've been born into, I hate to say this, but if you've been born into privilege, most people actually don't realize that's the case. Yeah. Um, if the most traumatic thing that ever happens to you is you get a, you know, a B on a report card. <laughs> you know, I, I think that that's, um, you're, you're living a pretty blessed life. And I think that people often choose to just ignore the realities. And I'm curious if in your position now, because you do, you have a lot of friends from all walks of life. You know, what is, what is your intention now and your goal? Because we talk all the time about how divided the country is. And what's yeah. crazy is you and I deep down are, we're pretty reasonable, balanced people. We're going to listen yeah. to both sides of every equation, but these are really divided times where even someone like me who normally would see both sides of the equation, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I, I'm struggling with a lot of what's going on with the division. And I'm curious if for you, how we talked about being a bridge. Yeah. What does that bridge look like for you? I mean, I think I have an opportunity and I feel this major sense of um, responsibility to be a voice. And because I am biracial and I have a black parent, a white parent, I think I, I have the ability to maybe understand maybe both sides differently than maybe you're a white person or you're a typical black person, you know, I think I have this ability or this opportunity to, you know, maybe bridge those two together because I think it's, you know, um, white privilege is real. And I don't really think the typical white American or white human being really understands that because they think that we've come as a country, we've come a really long way and, you are not being, you know, hung from trees and we're not being, we can vote and we can, you know, we have the ability to do whatever we want to do. But I, and so I think people will see that and like, man, our country has really come a long way, but we really haven't. I mean, we have, but we got a lot of ways to go, you know? And, and I think on the flip side of it too, as, as a black man and looking at my, you know, like reflecting on my family and my cousins and my community. And like, I think there's a, there's a, there's a powerful movement that could happen that if both sides just really are willing to have these uncomfortable conversations and meet in the middle, because there's still this oppression that, that lies within my black community of, of um, feeling like we're not good enough. We're like, we have to walk further and our steps are harder than the typical white person. And so I think that sometimes that oppression holds us back to our full potential. Um, and I think there's a lot of anger and with fear and all of that, that I think, you know, a generation in the black community have a hard time understanding and like, or having a hard time to even push through. I don't even think they realize that they need to 
push through that. And just like with the, I think those hard conversations with the white community is really hard to have because they feel like they've done a lot already. You know, I mean, really, I mean, the acknowledgement and the, you know, I mean, which is crazy to say that, but, you know, I think, you know, white people feel like that. I, I read something earlier or last week on social media and I can't like, I wish I would have something to the effect of um, white privilege to the white person, the average white person, white privilege feels oppressive to them because it's, and I'm totally twisting it, but it was beautiful. And I'm, I need to, you know, find that, but it was, I thought, man, that that's so true because the average white person to be told that, you know, there's white privilege and that they have this, privilege that other human beings don't have makes them feel oppressed maybe. Well, I and, think nobody, but Antonio, I would, I would argue, and I don't know if this is accurate for most white people, because when we start throwing everyone into a, we say the white community, the black community, I mean, we're all yeah. individuals, but yeah, I don't think any of us want to be defined solely by race. I think yeah. the, the challenge is to acknowledge all of our races, but, but also be able to acknowledge individuals and their differences. Yeah. But I think the thing with white privilege that I've noticed is, you know, one of the first remarks, people who don't believe in white privilege, they'll say, well, there are poor white people yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. And I could not agree more. I mean, there are plenty of white people out there who are underprivileged. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I get that argument from white people when they say that, but at the same time, it doesn't take being a white 48 year old male. When I look at pictures of people in political office and, and yeah. where we see all of these, you know, go to a really fancy, expensive place. Primarily you're going to see silver haired white guys. It's yeah. just the God's honest yeah. truth. I mean, yeah. you can't argue with it. And, yeah. and that is a, you know, when you start looking then at, at the way the economic system works, yeah. And you know, I'm watching it back in the day. <laughs> right. And I'm watching a documentary. I started ironically before this morning as I was feeding Grayson about um, Stefan Marbury and, you know, wizard on the basketball court. But it was talking about when he was growing up in the 90s, a black male either wanted to be if they wanted to be successful, they either felt they had to be a basketball player or a rapper. It was there was yeah. nothing. There was no other. There was no other in between. No. And, and I think that for most white people growing up in the 90s, it was, well, I can do that or be an insurance agent or be a banker or be this, that or the other. And I think that's, to me, where a lot of white people maybe don't realize their privilege. It's that they'll never know what it feels like to, to sit here and think that, well, my only way to make it in the world is to do one of two or three things because the yeah. system is such that. And again, this yeah. is. That's what I've perceived in white individuals yeah. who yeah, totally. deny what we'll call white privilege. That's just, yeah. that's my perception. You probably have a better one than I do. Well, no, and, and you, and if you break that down even more, I mean, you look at our communities that we, that me and our people were raised in. I mean, it was like, we didn't really have necessarily the support. And like, like I've, I've often thought I never dreamed really other than, I mean, I wanted to be, a, you know, this, pop star, singer, you know, actor kind of guy, but I never really like the realm of my world 
was never to be like, I never thought about being a doctor, lawyer, any of that. I mean, that was not even, I mean, even a, like being successful necessarily was not something that was thriving in my community. Like that we, our, our parents didn't teach, wasn't now, now granted, listen, there were some families that took the opportunity and like, and, and taught their kids differently. But when you're immersed in this community of like, you know, poverty, parents working father, my father was incarcerated, you know, all of these things. I mean, that's the last thing that the parents are really trying to do. They're just trying to survive. I mean, my mom, you know, specifically, and just the people that I, you know, within my community. So, you know, we didn't really have that ability to think outside of our circumstances at that moment. And um, again, I mean, it was, I think it was all because of just what we were experiencing, the life that we were experiencing, the struggle that we experienced. And, you know, the hardships that majority of the people within my community were going through the exact same thing. Um, so. Well, Antonio, here's what I want to do. I want to continue this conversation because I want to be a part of giving you a voice right now to close this first part of the conversation off because in the next conversation, I do think it'd be interesting to dive a little deeper into what it is like being a gay black South man in the South successful business owner, navigating that, and then also navigating how we can, how, how you make change and do it yeah. in a way that's, you know, that doesn't create more division, the bridge versus, yeah. you know, creating a, a, a bigger divide, but giving you the, the, the floor for a minute here in terms of what, what do you say to someone who right now feels really strongly that the the Black Lives Matter movement is a misguided one. Yeah, um, be open to conversation and about and not and don't think that because you have an understanding of what your perception of that is is that that's the only right perception and be have the openness openness to like talk through things and this movement really isn't a movement about Black Lives Matter, the organization. It really is a movement. It's like a, an anthem for me personally. It's like my heart's cry. Like it, it's, it's not really like I'm supporting this organization, but it's more about the words of Black Lives Matter. And I think, you know, how we can all come together is if we just are, everyone is open to hard conversations and, and listening before responding and being open to another idea of what that all means. Um, that word yeah, is beautiful. Oh, you set you hit the nail on the head. Open. You know, I look at my son Grayson and I see a kid who's completely open-minded. Everything he sees, he seen for the first time with an open mind, and then somewhere along yeah. the way. In this country, in all places, our minds can get closed slowly over time. We develop prejudices, stereotypes. We um, we live in our own little bubble. Yeah. yeah. And then we have to force ourselves to open our mind once again and not prejudge. And I think I want let's talk about that in our next conversation yeah. because I think yeah. it's just it's you're such a perfect person to have this conversation with because um, you've seen it all. You've been through it all. Um, so should we make a second date on this one? That's for sure. 
All right. Well, I, um, I, I always love chatting with you about everything. Um, but I particularly love the fact that you're taking this opportunity to, yeah. to, to have your voice heard. I think it's some Travis, thank you for like giving me that opportunity and this platform. It's something that I'm really passionate about and feel drawn to. So I appreciate you and appreciate your friendship and your, you know, your ability and to like pull this out of me. So, well, I knew we were going to be good friends when a, um, you, you literally out of the blue, not even knowing who you were, you knew I'd moved in next door and you bought me a drink. And then the next day, I think you took me to Barry's boot camp and whooped my ass <laughs> and I was sore for a week after. So I knew we'd be good friends after that, but, um, I, I appreciate it. Let's continue this. And, uh, thanks everyone for listening. Yeah. Yeah. Thank Cheers, you. buddy. I hope you enjoyed listening. Do not forget to subscribe and download and tell your friends. I would love to build this community and continue to be all about authenticity, optimism, and hope. Uh, looking forward to the next podcast. We'll see you soon. The Travis Stork Show podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional, medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional.